Good evening. It is good to see you tonight. Let me, uh, let me just take a minute and talk to you about three kinds of prayers that you'll be a part of or should be a part of on a regular basis. One of them is just a, a corporately led prayer. You see these all throughout the Bible where there's something going on and uh, a leader steps up, somebody steps up and prays and the rest of the members agree with that prayer. They're participating in it by listening to it and in their spirit going yes and amen. It's a unified voice of prayer. Then there's, of course, our, our private prayer times. And part of the essence of our private prayer times is to spend time with God, to seek his presence in our life, and then to pray for God's will to be done throughout our life and pray for the enemy to be silenced in our life. And, and I would really encourage you, especially if you have, uh, I would encourage you in all cases, but when you begin to recognize things in your life or in the world that are not in alignment with God. So, let me give you a real simple one. You have a friend or a loved one that's not serving God. Maybe they're bound in some sin. Maybe they're bound in some confusion. Uh, and, and you've talked to them and nothing seems to work. This is where persevering, consistent prayer is, is the answer. And we'll be talking about that over these next several weeks on Sunday morning. And I would encourage you in that time to set aside a time every day to seek God in your own life and to pray for those things. Maybe there's things that we as a church say, we want to pray about this, that, or the other. And you write those and you go into that prayer time and you take time. It won't be long if you begin to do that that you will find yourself being led by the Spirit and how you're praying for them. And you'll find your prayer time leaving you uh, with some spirit of being encouraged when it's over. Where you felt hopeless going in, you feel encouraged going out. That's one of the signs you've really prayed through the thing for that day. It doesn't mean it's answered that day, but it means you've, you've done what you're supposed to do. And the third thing is this corporate prayer setting where we come together and corporate prayer settings uh, are witnessed to in the Bible many, many times when they when, when they have a need or a thing and they begin to pray for it. And, and I would tell you that, yes, the Lord hears, uh, hears us when we just pray in our mind. But when we begin to just speak our prayers, I'm not saying scream them out. If you're by yourself and you want to scream them out, go right ahead. Shout unto the Lord, do, you know, He's not going to be scared. He's going to, if your passion leads you that way, that's great. But in the corporate setting, to begin to speak out your prayers, uh, to be able to stand at, at one of these sites over here and begin to pray for a friend and to say, Father, you know Joe. I know Joe. I love Joe. He's really, this, thing, this, this cancer he has, God, we just pray you touch him and heal him. And, and God just encourage him tonight and stir in him tonight. Let him know he's loved by you tonight. And you begin to get led in that prayer. And as you, as, as you speak it out and as the body begins to speak out those prayers, there becomes a corporate sense 
of the presence of God leading a corporate body in prayer. And, and there becomes a unity in the middle of, of all of that that is witnessed to throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that's pretty dynamic. And uh, uh, I, so I would just encourage you when, when you, when you have these things up, lay your hands on them. You know, lay your hands on those posters and pray for them. Uh, you, know, s- you know, let the Spirit of God lead you. And, and you don't have to scream, you don't have to scream, but just to calmly speak it as the Spirit leads you and let, let your passion come in that. So to try this on, uh, and I, I share this a lot of times, but I wanted to share it one more time tonight. So Dan gets up here Sunday morning, and he begins to lead us in praise and worship. And everybody in the church goes, I can worship God without singing. I can just sit here and think about worshiping God. Can they really be worshiping God? Yeah, they can really be worshiping God. But there is a corporate joy and a corporate move of the Spirit of God when we begin to worship out loud together. When people begin to lift their hands to the Lord and sincerely, not out of show, not out of anything, but just a hunger for God, a desire to express love to God, when those things begin, begin to happen, then the Spirit of God, there's power in those words. We're going to talk about words tonight. Power in those words. The same thing is true in prayer time. If we all just sit and go, we might as well be home praying on our own. It's fine. It's not, not that God isn't hearing us. But when we begin to pray together, there can be a, a sweep of the Spirit across the place. And so I just want to encourage you, when you come to these prayer times, uh, don't be bashful. Nobody's asking you just to, uh, you know, jump up and down and act weird. We're just asking you to pray out of the logic of your mind and the leading of, in your spirit for what you're praying for. And don't be afraid to, you know, you can start really soft. God, I know pastor says I'm supposed to do this, but this is a little freaky to me. But I'm going to do it because pastor's... And, and, and as others begin, to, you'll find yourself with more and more freedom. Amen? Ushers, come on down. We're going to receive this offering, our tithe and offering. How many of you think the church should be a church that has absolutely financial freedom to do the things God's called it to do? Amen? Now, we can sit here today and say, well, we can come with all kinds of people. Everybody should tithe. Everybody should. You, know how we, you know how we affect change? just been talking about it. We pray for change. We pray for God to bless people. We pray for God to bless us. We pray for God to lead us. We pray for God to lead others, and we pray for him to move in our giving so we can do all things he's called us to do. Amen? Father, tonight, we do that very thing. We just pray, not only for this offering, but we pray for Sunday morning and every offering and every tithe that's received every week that, Father, we as a church would be obedient to you, that we would be joyous in you, and that those who are obedient to you would be so blessed that they'd begin to tell others how blessed they are, and they'd be hungry to be blessed. Father, just let the blessing of your Spirit upon our lives sweep across this place, not just so we can be blessed, Lord, but so that this church can be a full-fledged blessing to this community, and to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Saturday is uh, Single Mom Saturday.
I think you can still sign up to be a part of that if you want to be. Uh, and then this Sunday we're starting uh, a new series. It's, it's, we're calling it The Game Changer. This is about how we change things that seem unchangeable. How we move things that seem unmovable. How God brings us into that process so that we are a, an eternal part of the process of God. How he's ordained that. You say, well, why did he do that? I don't know. Why did he make us so we have to breathe? He could have made us any way he wanted to. He's God. But he made us so we have to breathe. So I'm not going to argue with him and say, I'm not going to breathe anymore because I don't understand why you're telling me to do this. That would really be dumb, wouldn't it? So the same thing with prayer. Uh, same thing with giving. The same thing in, in, in all these. God says, you know, I will hear you when you pray. Then guess what? I'm going to pray. Amen? So we encourage you to be a part of this series as we come up. Uh, we've been looking at Proverbs. We've been talking about uh, these, uh, this, the, the art of living. And for the next couple of weeks, this week and next week at least, I want to talk about the ability that we have. This is one of the most commented on topics in the Proverbs. If you go through the Proverbs, it talks about this topic a lot. One of the great arts for the wise person is how they use their ability to speak. How we use this God-given ability to talk to other people in our life. The people we love, the people we're upset at, the people we work around, how we learn to talk to others. So Proverbs 13.3, we're going to just over the next couple of weeks look at a bunch of scriptures and what they mean and, uh, uh, and just hopefully learn from it. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Uh, this is a simple instruction about how much we talk. How loose is our talking? Have you ever had a, a, a machine or a car or something and something slipping in it? You know, it's just slipping and, and, and you discover, oh, there's a loose bolt. There's something loose. And if I tighten that down and tighten it up, then all of a sudden what was slipping isn't slipping. It's holding firm and it, you can do the work you're supposed to do. Some people are, you know, their mouth is like that loose bolt. It's just going. It's not holding things in place. It's not keeping, the, it's just going full blast. And, and the Bible's warning us in this that, hey, this can hurt you. This can hurt you. Things are getting slammed around. And so he's saying, be careful. In James 1.19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So as you read a statement like this, we've got to examine ourselves. We've got to look at our life. I was talking to a friend about this kind of thing today. When I was young and my mom finally took me to an eye doctor and they put glasses on me, I could see things I 
couldn't see before. It was an amazing opening up of the world. And you sit, you know, at that moment and you're seeing things. What, the way I was seeing before I put those glasses on was the way I thought everybody saw. So until you examine, get the examination, you don't know. This, this word is telling us to really examine our lives. One of the things that we, we need to examine is, do I really listen? Do I really listen? When I'm in a conversation, am I really in a conversation? Am I really learning and talking to the other person? Or am I just thinking about what I'm going to say next? Now, one of the great listening techniques, this is a very simple thing that somebody taught me years ago. One of the great listening techniques, especially if you're in an argument, a disagreement, if you've got somebody you don't understand what they're, you know, what, what's going on before you jump to a conclusion about what they say. See, this is one of the places where when people get in fights, they really blow it. One person starts saying something, it's a trigger to the other person. They're upset, and before they let them finish what they're saying, they've drawn a conclusion, and they're talking back to them. You can sit in, this, in a meeting with two people like that, and they're just, they're just both talking, and they're hearing key words, and they're talking past each other. They're not hearing each other at all. Uh, they're, just, they're just going at each other. So one of the key things in any conversation is to be quick to listen and slow to speak, to calm yourself down, even when you hear things that upset you. But then you want to be certain that what they said is what you what they said is what you think they said, and that they really meant it. So here's one of the simple techniques in understanding. It's simply to look at them and say, "Okay, uh, I think I heard you. I think you heard. This is what you're saying to me. Uh, you are really upset at me because I throw my dirty clothes on the floor and not in the hamper. Is that what you're saying?" I want to make sure I understood that correctly. You know, that's, that's the issue. That's what you're saying. Uh, it, it's just simple things. It's, it's spe- okay, I got that. I, I think I can do something about that. I think I can do something. You are upset because I don't let you know when I'm going to get home late. It worries you. You get food ready and I'm not there on time I, I can okay instead of just being in an argument you listen you ask the question you, you don't sit there and say well see there you go again you're just trying to control me you're always trying to control me all you want to do is control me no you, you listen and you think you know what uh, that, that probably is frustrating to be sitting at home and getting dinner ready or whatever and the other person not to show up on time and not to even call and let you know. I, wow, I can, I can understand why that's frustrating. I can, I can fix that. He, you know, a few years ago, Mayor Giuliani was the uh, mayor in New York. 
and they had these squeegee guys, whether you like them or not, they had these squeegee guys that were out on the, on, uh, at, at stoplights, and they would come uh, to your car and uh, throw like a bucket of dirty water on your car and then squeegee it off and then ask for money for cleaning your windshield. And it was a real annoyance. And they, at that time, they passed this law. They cannot, they're going to arrest guys that do that. It seemed like a little nuisance thing. And yet what they found out when they began to arrest these guys is they found out that many times when they took them in and arrested them and took their fingerprints, they had their fingerprints on files for crimes at other places. They didn't know who did it. And as they cleaned that up, they found that it was cleaning a lot of other things up. I just say that to say this. Sometimes if you clean up the squeegee stuff in your life, you clean up a lot of things in your life. A lot of the pressure in life gets cleaned up. If you, if you listen enough to say, you know what? I'm going to be reasonable. I'm not just going to be mad in this conversation and not hear them. I'm going to be reasonable and fix the things that I can fix that aren't unreasonable to fix. And then we'll, then we'll work on the big stuff later. But let's get the little stuff cleaned up. That just takes a lot of pressure. But you've got to listen uh, to be able to do that, and then you've got to react to it. You've got to do it. So you, you, you say, this is what you're saying, and then you repeat what they're saying so you're sure. Is that, then you say, is that what you mean? And you know what I found a lot of times? I've been in a lot of meetings with people who are really upset at each other, and I'd stop them and say, okay, now, what you're saying is this. I see this person was mad. What you're saying is this. And you'd repeat it, and the person goes, yeah, that's what they said. And the person said, well, that's not what I meant at all. I didn't really mean it that way. Well, that's what we both heard you say. Oh, well, what I really meant was, and what they really meant wasn't nearly that, wasn't nearly as inflammatory as what you heard the first time. So taking that, that time to calm down, listen, don't step on them talking, but just to be a person in whatever setting to say, I want to make sure I understood you. That doesn't just work in an argument. That works when you're taking instructions throughout life in any kind of setting that you're in to be able to go, okay, what you're telling me to do is X, Y, Z. This passage is really about the person who for whatever reason just puts their mouth on autopilot and lets it go. You know, so they're mad, they're angry, or they're just horsing around or whatever, and they just, they're just letting it go. And, and it's that loose bolt thing where all of a sudden things happen. Now, sometimes, you know, I know, you may discover this yourself, sometimes I know in a, in a setting that I need to carry a conversation. Maybe the person I'm with is just getting to know me, Maybe they're a little shy. Maybe they're not great at conversations. Maybe I'm with a group of people. None of them know each other. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk. But one of the great ways in, in the middle of that is to ask questions. We'll come to that in a minute. But Renee and I, I'll tell you, Renee and I have a couple of ways. Because uh, I'm a talker. Have you noticed that? I'm a talker. Uh, Renee and I have some ways where if she thinks I'm talking too much, that she can let me know 
and nobody else knows, she's letting me know. You know, that, that I'm not going to tell you what it is because then if you see her do it, you'll know what she's doing. That's no good. My dad, my dad had this thing he did with babies. Some of you remember that if the woman came with a baby, he thought they weren't really that good looking. He'd say, now that's a dandy. Now he, he, he made a mistake and he told that publicly once and then he said that to one woman, oh, that baby's a dandy and she got mad at him. Uh, so you can't, you can't give your stuff away. So, uh, you know, when, and when I get that message, I know, I need to slow it down here a little bit. I need to, let, I need to make sure others are engaging in the conversation. And, and we invite people into the conversation by asking questions. We ask questions. Many times I'll get in the car with Renee and, and uh, we'll have been someplace with me and I'll say, okay, did I talk too much tonight? Because I want to be aware of it. Did I let other people in tonight? Because I know I can get going and not let anybody else in the conversation. I can just carry it on by myself. I do that every Sunday, right up here. <laughs> I can just go. So I need that check and back. If you know you're a talker, if you know that's who you are, if you're aware, boy, I can, I can do it, then you need to put some checks and balances in your life so that you're not just running over people who maybe they're not naturally talkers that you're inviting them into the conversation. So if you have a tough time with conversations, let me give you a few, ear, a few, few ideas. Uh, one is uh, we learn more by asking questions and listening. So, you know, develop, if you want to be better at conversations, maybe you're a little, it's a little tough for you. Uh, develop a list of questions. You know, just a, a simple list of questions. Uh, you know, ask about the, if you don't know the person, ask about their family. Tell me about your family. How many brothers and sisters did you have growing up? What, you know, what kind of home did you grow up in? Uh, how many kids do you have? Now, when people ask me that question, and I say to them, well, we have six kids, and I'll always bring the rest of it into the deal. Four biological kids and two that God brought into our homes and our hearts other ways. Now, that usually sparks a conversation. If it doesn't spark a conversation, I'm pretty sure they're not listening. Because when you hear that, six kids is a lot of kids to most people, and two kids God brought into your house another way is a, what? How did that happen? kind of thing. It usually sparks a, conversa a conversation. But so I, I would just encourage you, develop that list of questions. You know, some, some really e easy questions is, tell me about where you work or where did you go to school? Uh, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, how did you get to Springfield if they're not from here? You know, just, just simple questions will help you uh, to, if, if you're one of these people, well, I just don't know how to talk to people. I just don't know what to say. Ask questions. Ask questions. Now, we tell you, if you, there's somebody new at church or somebody you've never met at church, we tell you, don't go ask them, is this your first time here? Here's the question you ask them. How long have you been coming here? That way, if they've been coming for five years, but they've become the second service, you've become the first service, and they sit over here, and you sit back there, and you've never crossed paths with them, you're not embarrassed when they say, no, I'm not new here. I've been here for five years. 
And if they are new, they'll just say, well, this is my first Sunday. Well, great. We're really glad you're here. What brought you here today? Well, I was driving by and I saw the cross out there. I felt like I should come. Or, you know, I have a friend who said I should come out here sometime. Or I'm looking, you know, I moved to town and I'm looking for a church. And that gives you the opportunity to say, you know what? This is a place where you can meet God. This is a place where you can build some great friendships. This is a place where, you know, this is like God spoke to you about when you saw the cross. This is a place where God will speak to you about a lot of things if you'll come and listen. It just opens up this opportunity. And the more of us who do that, the more welcoming this place will be to new people who come in the door. So, so we develop those questions. Now, also, if you are somebody who struggles with conversation, can I tell you the thing that really kills conversations? Conversation killers. Uh, you know, so you say to somebody, uh, how many, do you have kids? Yes. Do you like them? Sometimes. You know, do you have a job? Yes. One word answers. You know, if somebody asks you a question, give them a little something. You know, talk about it a little bit. And then the next thing that will help you in that conversation is reciprocate the question. So they've asked you about where you came from. You used to tell them, hey, I lived in a small town. I moved here because I, I, you know, I got a job here, and this is what happened. I lived on the East Coast or West Coast. Whatever. I ended up in Springfield because of a job, and I've been here now for 15 years. And blah, blah, blah. Tell me, what about you? What about your job? Where did you come from? What do you do? And, and you just, it's, it's a simple, this simple process, this reciprocal question. What's your family like? And you ask. But in the process, you give them room to respond, and you take room to respond, but you make sure if you're a talker, what? You're making sure you're not running over. I could talk about my family from now to next Wednesday. I could talk about where I came from, what my family's like, what my dad was like. I could tell stories about my dad. We could go on and on and on for a week, and you could just sit there going, when is he ever going to shut up? So you want to make sure you're not doing that. On the other side, you want to be, as you're listening, you want to respond inside of the question. So be careful. This is just a warning scripture to be careful. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. There is a, I hope you've all learned this, there's a time to say something and there's a time to wait. Praying for God's wisdom in that. I learned this as a kid. I could get around my dad. By the time I was in, in, in middle school, I could come around my dad or my mom and know in about 30 seconds whether this was a good time to ask for some money to go out to eat or whether I should wait a few minutes. You know, you've got to learn to define the atmosphere. I know with my wife, now's not the time. Now's not the time. My wife will say it to my kids. They'll, they'll, when they were growing up, they'll come in and start, and they should say, uh, it's not the time. You're going to get in, you better go. It's not the time. You know, so understanding the atmosphere. 
of the place that you're at and what's going on. As we get to be adults, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we have to understand about the, understanding the atmosphere is what's appropriate where. So, frankly, there are hallway in the church questions. Great question, great place. There are questions that if you have them, probably the hallway in the church isn't the best place to ask them. Do you understand that? When you understand that about your workplace, there's a time to ask the boss a question. There's a time not to ask him a question. There's a place to ask him a question. There are places not to ask a question. To be discerning in that moment will protect you. This is what this is talking about, being discerning. The discerning person understands the atmosphere in the room and understands the appropriateness of the time. The appropriateness of the time. Secondly, the discerning person is kind with their words. Harsh words. When you're upset, you know, you want to get your point across, harsh words stir up harsh replies. You blast something out, nine times out of ten, you know what's going to happen? Something's going to get blasted back at you. While kind words, patient words, increase the ability for the other person to hear and receive what you're saying. I I learned with my dad. I watched him. And and I'm I'm much the same way. If somebody comes in, somebody on, on staff comes in and they're threatening he, he wasn't, wasn't going to be moved by a threat. I couldn't threaten him big enough as a kid growing up. You know, I, I, if you don't do this, I'm leaving. He'd say, I'll help you pack. Let's go right now. There, there wasn't, I couldn't up the ante big enough. You know, the harsh word, the tough word was not going to get a good response. But the kind word, the patient word, the help, the, the help me understand word at the right time is going to get the right response. And it increases our persuasiveness. So, so here's the question I'd ask you to have you ask yourself. Where are the places, when are the times when it's easy for you to be harsh? When the words can get tough all of a sudden. Because, see, that's the times you need to be aware of so that when you find yourself getting into those times, you know, we, you know if we're driving, I've got all the kids in the car, and we're all of a sudden in tough traffic and things are going on, I'll say to them many times, guys, or Renee will say to them, hey, everybody, the traffic's pretty heavy right now. We're going to turn the music down. We're going to pay a little bit more of attention. No more screaming and yelling in the back seat. We're going to be, we're going to tone it down. We're going to tone it down. Because we know, I know, my tendency in that kind of a stressful moment, I can get, I can get, you guys shut up. You know? Everybody be quiet. 
So we have to know when we're given to harsh words, when, 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 what gets you upset and really turns you that way. And so I would encourage you to take this and really pray about that and know yourself. Know, know yourself. Really pray about, it. God, am I discerning when I should ask things? Am I aware of the appropriateness uh, of, of when to ask things, when to talk to people about things and the right approach? Do I really know that? Proverbs 16, 22. Uh, Good sense is, is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instructions of fools is folly. Now, we've defined a fool. A fool is someone who's using the wisdom of the world instead of godly wisdom. So if their, if their wisdom and what they're saying to you is contrary to what the world says, a um, year or so ago, uh, Tom was involved in a, in a play here in town. And uh, uh, they had, was, they had, there was a little boy in the play. And the, the, this shows how crazy the world's gotten. Uh, the instructor said, now listen, at this point in the, in the program, we want all the men all the men to say this and then we want all the women to say this so the little boy's there and he's thinking men and women and he's a little boy and he says which one am i and you know with the with the political confusion of this world today the director says to him, uh, "Which, whatever you feel like is fine. Whatever you feel like being, whatever you want to be is fine. Now, friends, that's just foolishness. So Tom went over to the little boy afterwards and said, you're a boy. Go with the men. You're a boy. Don't be confused. See, the wisdom of this world today is confusing our world. Instead of helping our world get over things, it's confusing. It's folly. It's folly. And if you listen to the wisdom of the world, you're going to end up in some deep, deep folly. Uh, today, one of the big lies that's told today is follow your heart. The Bible says very quickly that our heart is deceitfully wicked. And we need it to be protected by the Word of God. All right. Proverbs 16:23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. There are two sayings I want you to hear. One is this. The heart of fools is in their mouth, but the mouth of the wise is in their heart. Do you see the difference? It's about what's controlling your mouth. If your emotions and everything are just up here in your mouth, then every time something upsets you or stirs you up, you, guess what? Your mouth starts to run. But if your mouth is in your heart, you begin to weigh out what are these words going to mean, what are they going to say to people, how are they going to help or, or hurt people, and we weigh out our words before we say them. Whatever the heart senses is going to come rolling out of our mouth. And we want to make sure that our mouth is in the right place. The emotions control the flow of the words for a fool.
the wise control the mouth with their heart. And they're thinking about, what do I really want? What's really right? I'm not going to let my emotions control me. I'm going towards the right end. When, when, when we're in an argument, and the goal of the argument is to win, nobody wins. When the goal of the argument, the discussion, the debate is to find the right end together, now both people can win. But even if you're powerful enough to force your will on somebody, you don't win, you've just controlled them for a moment. So we want to be wise. With our children and loved ones, uh, we get angry at times. Uh, maybe even angry at them. We want to be careful when we get angry or upset at what they've done. That, that you know, our, our heart isn't in our mouth. We want to make sure our mouth is in our heart because our heart still loves them even though we're a little upset right now and it'll temper how we talk to them. Now, again, there's a difference between being wimpy and being persuasive. Uh, I don't think I've ever told my wife to shut up. That would not be a healthy thing for me to do. Uh, You know, I've told my kids many times to tone it down. But I'm telling you, it would crush me to think that my words hurt them. I I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to hurt my wife. Even if I'm upset, this, this is one of the danger zones in a marriage and with kids. You know what to say to hurt them. Now, you protect that secret. You don't let that secret loose. You protect that secret. That never comes out as a weapon. You never use that. You know what button to push, to to push them over, to, to destroy them emotionally or to wound their heart. That When you discover what that is, you never, there is no excuse to ever use those words. You set them aside and say, "Mm mm-mm, why? Because my mouth is in my heart. I love this person deeply, and I'll never use that to get my way. I'll never use that to win the argument. They've got to be able to trust you. You've got to be able to trust them. Here's a second saying. The heart of the wise will consider what proceedeth from his mouth, and on his lips he will carry prudence. I love that saying. The the, the wise is going to consider. He's not quick to speak. He's not winning the argument with a quick retort. That's not the goal. The goal is always to find the truth and to get to the truth. It's not to be the quickest one in the room. In fact, if you are quick-tongued, listen, you especially need to be careful. If you've got a quick wit, a quick way to cut into people, a quick retort, you've got to really reel that in in life. You've got to care, be careful what proceedeth out of your mouth. We've got to consider our words and consider what we say. Uh, just, just on a side note, just a couple. Of, you never ask a woman if she's pregnant unless you're absolutely positive that you know she is. Is that true? That's true. Uh, I would say this. Don't, don't look at a person and say, wow, you look really tired today. They may have worked really hard to look their best that day. They may be tired, but you tell them that just says, not only are you tired, you epically failed. 
you epically fail. At a funeral, you don't say, you'll get over it. You know what? You're never going to get over it. You're going you're to learn to live differently. You don't say, when you see somebody you haven't seen for a while, wow, you've packed it on since the last time I saw you. <laughs> it may be true, but it is not endearing. It is not endearing. Here's, here's, here's one. You don't go up to somebody you haven't seen for a long time and say, do you know who I am? Nope. <laughs> it's not good for either one of you in that moment. If I see somebody I haven't seen for a while, I'll walk up and say, hey, do you remember? I'm Mark Johnson, remember? Went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I'm letting them off the hook. Letting them I had somebody here at church a few months ago, and they... they they, they were apparently in the Oasis years ago. And now, you know, it's been 30-some years since I was in the Oasis. And, and this person is not, not a teenager. They're a grown man and have grew, gone, gone the way of aging. And then walks up to me in the hall and goes, do you know me? Should I know you? Where would I? I was in the Oasis for two years back. Oh, well, that, what's your name? You know? You just put, everybody gets awkward in that moment. See, that's just things you, you don't do. Here's another. You, don't, you go, don't go up to people, why don't you like me? Well, I liked you until now. Now I don't like you. <laughs> why didn't I get invited? Well, because you asked questions like this. That's why you didn't get invited. You just, you just learn. What's prudence, wisdom? Uh, you use it, and it won't be long until you will get invited. Amen? Proverbs sixteen twenty four. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. I had an aunt and uncle who were two of the most gracious people I've ever known in my life. When you were, when you were with them, uh, you, you felt, you know, my wife felt, we, we felt like kings and queens when we were with them because they were just so gracious. They just wanted to make sure that, you know, when you were visiting in their town, that everything you needed was taken care of. They wanted to know what was going on in your life. They were very encouraging. And I remember one of the times when Renee and I were, were there, and we'd, we'd, come, we'd come home, we were on our way home after that, and, and we just looked at each other and said, wow, we, can, we need to learn a lot. How, how do we make people feel the way we feel when we're around them? They were just so gracious. They were gracious. Now, I've talked a lot in here about, you know, having good advisors in your life and the difference between advisors and cheerleaders. Cheerleaders are people who cheer no matter how, you know, you, you're out there and you're on the, on the side of the bridge, you don't know how deep the water is, and you're thinking about jumping, and the cheerleader's going, Go! Yay! This is going to be fun! I'm not going, but you go ahead! You know, I'm not going to be in the game, but you play. The advisor goes, uh, time out. you know how deep it is down there? No. Well, maybe we should check that out before you jump. Maybe somebody should go down and see what's under that, that water. We can't see the bottom. We don't know if it's, it's all muddy. We don't know. Maybe six inches deep. Don't jump. But listen, a good advisor, if you're willing to be an advisor in people's lives, a good advisor also spends a lot of time cheerleading. 
This isn't vain, vain flattery. The, the good advisor isn't just there to tell you what you're doing wrong or that you better stop and think. The good advisor, when they see you do something good, they cheer for you too. And, and that's, what, that's what you have to learn to do. This, this uncle of mine, I mean, there were many, many times when he cheered for me. And there was one time when I was over there, and at the end of it, he said, I want you to come see me tomorrow morning. And I went into his office. He said, I've been praying for you. And he began to talk to me. And he gave me some great warning and advice. And you know what? At the end of the day, I walked out of there going, he's on my side. It was a straight talk. It was a good talk. But it was coming from someone who was gracious and was a cheerleader at, good, at, at some times and now was being a good advisor. And so this graciousness opens up that door. You know, just, just little things. I, I love it when you sing. Or when I see you in the choir and the way you sing in the choir, it blesses me and, and helps my heart, encourages me to open my heart to God. Hey, I, I, I saw how you helped that person the other day and what you did to, make their, to, to help pick up the load and do that. I was so impressed by you doing that. When they see the good thing, they don't just say, oh, there's a good thing. They comment on it. They talk about it. They, they recognize it. And they encourage it. You know, when you do something, they thank you for it. When you come to their house, they welcome you into the home. They make you feel comfortable. You can tell that they've worked, they've worked hard at this. I'm just telling you, one of the goals of our lives as Christians needs to be this ability to be gracious and to speak gracious things when we think them or when we see them. To be conscious of this fact that gracious words are a dessert to the soul. That's what this scripture is saying. It's like a honeycomb. It's dessert to the soul. It encourages and it lifts up and it brings health. And, and so here's, here's my challenge to you this week. Uh, pick up your intensity at being gracious. Just say, God help me to see things and when I see them, Help me say, you know, isn't it amazing how we see things and we complain about them? Why then don't we, when we see things, speak good things about them? Uh, when I was 16, uh, there was a girl in our youth group that, frankly, I, I, I liked her. She was fine. I just never wanted to date her. She worked in one of the ministries in the church, and unbeknownst to me, uh, they were having a banquet for that ministry, and uh, my dad gave her some goals and said to her, why he did this, I don't know, he said, if you uh, reach that goal, uh, Mark will take you to the banquet. I've never prayed for somebody not to be successful in ministry before, but <laughs> lo and behold, she reached the goal. And I had to take her to the banquet. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I wasn't mean to her because I know if I was mean to her, uh, my dad would wring my neck. In fact, he told me so much. But I wasn't gracious to her either. 
Yeah, I could have been gracious. On the way home that night, she said, hey, can we stop and get ice cream? I said, no. I got to get going. So I, I had another date that night with my girlfriend, see, so I had to get her home so I could get, that's a true story. I wasn't, I, I was there for one reason. I was under forced labor. That's why I was there. But even when you're under forced labor, what you should be is gracious. Just learning to be kind. In wins and in losses, we try to be gracious. I always told my son, the boys that were around, guys, it's great, it's easy to be gracious when you win. You got to learn to be gracious when you lose. It's easy to be gracious in victories. You also got to be gracious in defeats. When you like the job you're given, it's easy to be gracious. When you don't like it, you still need to be gracious. And we just set aside the harsh and cutting words if we use them and pick up the gracious words. And it won't be long. A lot of people will want to be around you. Look for the good and speak it. Say it. Recognize it. Brag on it. Try it on the people you love. Try it on total strangers. Try it on the waiter that waits on you. The person who opens the door for you. Just learn to, to speak and be gracious and forgiving. And remember, if you're dealing with somebody and they're struggling, you don't know what they're going through. It may, they may just be blowing everything off and having, you know, just, they just may be a lazy worker or they may be going through the worst day of their life. And I would encourage you. If they're not doing a good job and they're not working hard, that's the boss's problem. If they're having a bad day, we have a chance to be gracious. Isn't that a good goal? Gracious words. When you see something good, say something. Amen? With your kids, with your spouse, wherever you go. Speak up and be gracious. Let's stand together. Father, we pray that you'd help us to learn, to grow from your word. And as we look at these words, I pray you'd challenge us. If there's some place where we're being harsh, there's some place where we're not listening, if there's some place where we need to be a dessert to people's souls, let us be gracious, patient, loving, and kind. And help them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go into the world and do so. Amen.